Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Another Film Podcast. My name is Matt. My name is Colin. My name is Tierney. And a very special return special guest. My is the uh, guest good special and roommate. <laughs> he's, 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 he's a special two, guest two and specials. a special person. He's, he's honestly, it's a special episode with a special guest. Uh, my roommate and dear friend, Chris. Hello. Thank you so much for having me again. Delighted, delighted to be back. Uh, I have not told you this piece of information, even though I told everyone that I would, but I think it's best to share this live on the recording. Your episode, Barry Lyndon, was our most streamed episode (gasps) of 2022. Wow. And listenership spiked after that episode. So, what? uh, What an honor. We'd like to, it's truly, we'd like to give you an award today for best uh, guest to be on the pod (laughs) and encourage new listeners award. This sounds really reversed. I would I would like to to take a quick moment, um, and Chris, this is nothing against you. I love having you on. You're a fantastic guest for Barry Lyndon, and I'm very very excited to hear what you have to bring to the table for this for today's movie. But uh, I I have a feeling that this particular movie doesn't quite have the same juice as Barry Lyndon in terms of know. people who might just be like aimlessly wandering around the podcast landscape trying to find episodes to listen to. You know, it's not, it's not, it's a, it's a great honor. It's not necessarily about breaking records for me. Um, to me, the most important record is uh, just being on more than Freddie or other roommates. So, um, you know, as long as I've established that, I, I feel I'm going to be happy. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, Freddie is bound to return to the show at some point, maybe for heat, if we ever do heat. That would be, a, yeah, uh, that would be a great call, actually. It's kind of like dog-eared for him. Heat, but heat kicks ass. <laughs> that movie is so dope. <laughs> yeah. Val just watched Heat and was like, this cast is crazy. And I was like, that is one of the things that everyone says about Heat, it's just the cast. But we're not talking about Heat today. I not wish we close. were talking about Heat. Shut up. <laughs> we are instead talking about uh, the A24 release from 2019? I was getting right? it confused with The Heat with Melissa McCarthy. I was like, surely they're not talking about that movie. The, the Heat. And we're not talking about Heat either. Uh, we're talking about the 2019 A24 release. Uh, my pick, my second pick for this second round of our film festivals, or third round, third round of our film festivals. Uh, I'm getting all the details wrong, but the fact of the matter is, it is. Uh, the film Under the Silver Lake, uh, starring Andrew Garfield and several other people, and a uh, real low-key release, not a lot of hubbub about it. Uh, A24 has not done much with it <laughs> since it came out, and it fits perfectly into what I would have seen at the Chicago International Film Festival, which is the criteria for my picks. Uh <laughs> This round is just anything that seems like a movie that I would have seen if it were playing at the Chicago National Film Festival. Uh, it is funny, actually. The Myth of the American Sleepover, which is oh, yeah. uh, this director's first film, uh, was at the first 
uh, Chicago National Film Festival that I went to. And so it seems vaguely appropriate to do this uh, for him. Since uh, and I'm also probably for I should have researched this uh, more, but I'm for, I keep forgetting his name. David uh, Robert Mitchell. David Robert Mitchell. He should it's probably have another first, first name in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Uh, which also the star being Andrew Garfield. That's another mm. multi first name. Is it all connected? I mean, I don't know. Oh my god. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, Topher Grace also yeah. a two first name. Interesting. We'll break this down. Anyway, uh, Under the Silver Lake, uh, I first saw it in 2019, I think, actually. like So later on in the year after it had come out, uh, I saw it at home. I've never seen this in theaters because I don't even know if it was released in theaters. And if it was, very limited run. Uh, not much to do about it. But I've seen this three times now. Uh, I think the last time I watched it was during the pandemic. Um and I like it more each time. Uh, and also I'll say uh, the additional criteria for this particular week's choice uh, for the festival was that uh, I would typically choose a movie from the festival run uh, at the Chicago National Film Festival that starred a lead that I was attracted to. Yep, so, there it is. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, who was in... One of the first movies that I saw uh, at the festival when I was volunteering, which was Red Riding in the Year of Our Lord, 1974. Yeah, yeah I think we talked about that a little, because I think I was at one of those screenings as well. Yeah, uh, and that was the first movie I'd ever seen Andrew Garfield in at all. Uh, so this qualifies in multiple ways that uh, this would be something that I would have seen. So I love it. I can see that other people like why other people wouldn't so i am interested in this conversation uh to dive deep into this complicated long weird little gem of a movie in my opinion so i don't know who wants to go next but anyone i share your thoughts i can go uh so a couple of things um i did see this movie in theaters because oh. it did have a very limited run here in Denver. I think they had it, uh, one of the draft houses in Denver had it for like a week. And I think they only had like one screening a day and it was at like 9 PM every night. <laughs> and so, uh, I love, I, I am not familiar with his first movie, David Robert Mitchell's first movie, that myth of the American sleepover. Um, but I love it follows. Um, I think it follows is probably my favorite of the like mid to late teen, like horror boom that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that movie. And so when I saw that he was coming out with a new movie, I was like, Oh, dope. Let's, let's go. And, uh, it had its premiere in 2018. Um, I believe it can. So May of 2018 and a24 got the rights to the movie. And then they did not actually release the movie <laughs> until April of 2019. <laughs> so, uh, I went and saw it. Uh, and then I texted a friend of mine who works at the theater with me and my, my entire review of the movie when I left the theater was, I can see why A24 basically didn't do anything with this for a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I saw it in theaters. I, 
my opinion on it has not changed in the last three years. Um, I think that there are parts of this movie that I really like, and there's a lot of this movie that I just like do not at all connect to. Um, so I'm, I am curious to see, I did spend a while last night on Letterboxd just reading a bunch of different reviews. And like, I think this is probably one of the most like polarized Absolutely. movies yeah. that I've seen on Letterboxd. Like, I'm not saying that it is the oh. most polarized movie, but it's the most that like, I, when I do like a Letterboxd, like deep dive to like, look at reviews, it seems like. There's a lot of people who love this movie. There's a lot of people who hate this movie. And there's a lot of people who are like, kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got some stuff going for it, but not really for me. And I feel like I'm mostly in the latter camp there. Um, but I did think it was fun reading through a bunch of different people's takes. Um, so I'm curious to see where this conversation goes. But my, my stance on this movie is, eh. <laughs> my My, uh, we'll see what Tyranny has to say, but I have a feeling this will be a 50-50 split on the movie. Uh, but Tierney, would you like to share your experience with this particular film? Uh, yeah, so I didn't know anything about this movie until, well, you guys had given me a <clears throat> rundown last week after we finished recording, which I just completely forgot. Just went in one ear and out the other <laughs> until I started watching it. Um, so I think the first, like, 15 minutes 15 to 20 minutes I liked and then the rest of it I was kind of just not at all invested in um and I think that uh I mean I think we'll get into specifics but um I just thought it was like very underdeveloped like plot wise and uh I actually if it felt watching it felt like watching a student film um, and similar to student films, they tend to be not entirely developed, um, to where I kind of mean like, where, where is this going? But not in a fun way, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, as just like meandering and all that. Uh, but I do think that like, I could see where people would enjoy it. I was just kind of like, eh. And I think part of it was, because um, I kept trying to figure out why, because I know that you guys compared it to Inherent Vice, and I love Inherent Vice. And I think the difference between the two of them is that, like, Inherent Vice is not a conspiracy. It's not, like, a conspiracy theory-based, which I just, like, don't care about. <laughs> like, there is Inherent kind Vice of a conspiracy is, at the center of inherent vice, right? But I know, I know what you mean. It's not like that's not the point well, of the movie. He's not. Yeah, he's not a conspiracy theorist right. at all. He's yeah. a detective who comes. He unearths a huge, like vertically integrated. Mm-hmm. You could call it conspiracy. I would call it a corporation or an organization, which is well, like. Are they conspiring with each other? Sorry. <laughs> Like, it's not a conspiracy theory as much as it's, like, <clears throat> fiction, which I think is what a lot of conspiracy theory is, like, synonymous with. But it is a cons- there are conspirators that are doing secret things under the public eye in Inherent Vice, and that he- that's what he uncovers. It's like, the vertical integration is a conspiracy. They are conspiring together to sell heroin 
or whatever it is that Inherent Vice is about, which I forget <laughs> most of the details of. Yeah, I mean, there's, and that's part of the other thing, because I had, like, a good long think, we can also talk about this later, after we've all introduced, but I had, I had, like, a long think about, like, what makes the two of them separate, and I think the fact that it's, like, it's, they're both fiction, but one is, like, more grounded in reality, versus, like, I think a lot of conspiracy theories just are so far out sure. there you're like what the mm-hmm. fuck versus like oh this is america we would absolutely have a vertically integrated scheme to make money off of right. addicts at whatever stage of the site like the cycle of addiction that they're in um but then there's also um uh and this is this is <laughs> a fundamental piece of who I am is the, it's not even LA in Inherent Vice. It's South. It's like uh, LA County, but it's not LA. It's like down near Manhattan mm. uh, in a fictionalized town called Gordita beach. Uh, so it's not LA at all. And the aesthetic is like very much my vibe versus the aesthetic of this. I'm like, this isn't, these aren't my people. This isn't my crowd. I don't care. I don't care for any of these people. Versus, like, Doc is inherently lovable. And, like, so many of the characters in that, I'm like, oh, I, I could hang out with these guys. Versus this, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be in the same room as Andrew Garfield. <laughs> and Which the amount of times fair. they talk yeah. about his smell, I don't want to be in the room as him. <laughs> And so I think it's those two things together kind of have me like, eh, eh. But I can see where people would like it. Um, But I was not. I thought it was a strong opening. And then I was kind of like, what's happening? But I think (laughs) you're right that it probably is (laughs) (laughs) 50-50. Well, now let's see if that is true. So Chris... Uh, what's your what's your background on the movie? I mean, yeah, it's you know, it's 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 a it's a hundred percent true. I think um, my background. I guess we can briefly just say to for people if they're completely not familiar with the movie and they're listening, because uh, again, I know, like you guys said, this episode is just going to draw so much traffic. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, Maybe, but uh, you do not know. It's uh. But it's about a man named Sam, played by Andrew Garfield. They never actually say his name in the movie, which is really interesting. But he's living this aimless life in Los Angeles in the neighborhood of Silver Lake. And he meets this woman, Sarah, uh, played by Riley Keough, in his building. And she goes missing, and he tries to find out what happens to her. And from there, he starts to uncover a crazy conspiracy theory and really trying to distill the plot any more than that is it would both be spoilery and it would be nonsensical because I, I feel like the plot of this movie is in some ways kind of not the point, but also it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to even to try to lay out with any sort of, um, with any sort of rational logic applied to it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I also saw this movie. It was one that I remember it playing at the Arclight in 2019 for like just a couple weeks after, it had, you know, I'd read some of the stuff out of Cannes in 2018 about it really not being super well received. And also as someone who loved It Follows, I was really excited for the movie. And that was another one that I think it had premiered at Cannes and Critics Week, maybe, and been really well received. So, of course, it was like, oh, this is his big 
follow-up? What's he going to do? And then the movie wasn't super well-received, and I thought it had a really bad trailer, honestly. I think it's a trailer, mm. it, they, it's got, like, violent femmes, and it's sort of, like, it's trying to make it look like this fast-paced, almost like a David O. Russell-y, or even, like, a Wes Anderson-style, mm. like, you know, what? it's a comedic romp, and I, I do think this movie is hilarious, but I don't think it's a romp <laughs> at all. I think it's it's actually really heavy in a lot of ways, and it's so... I, I just think the the marketing of the film was poorly done, but I also, I have no idea how to market this movie. Yeah. I think one of the things that I love about it so much is the fact exactly like you were talking about, Colin, it is, this is a great, this is a great letterbox search because I've also spent time <laughs> looking at people's reviews on this. And there are definitely people who are more middle of the road, like you guys, like you and Tierney, but there's also so many people that are really polarized on it that really hate this movie and so many people that really love this movie. And I have to imagine at a certain point, even, you know, and I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's, I think it's often said, no filmmaker sets out to make a movie that people are going to dislike, but at a certain point, I almost feel like they had to realize making this thing as many good people are in it and stuff like, you know, by the time, like, you got Andrew Garfield shoving someone's head in a toilet, it's kind of got, like, there has to be a vibe on set, like, you know, this isn't going to be for everybody, right? Like, this is not going to be, <laughs> this is not going to be your new Spider-Man. So, but yeah, all that said, I really love it for a myriad of reasons, some of which I think Matt already touched upon, and some of which um, I'm eager to talk about more. I definitely want to get back to the aesthetic that Tierney brought up, but uh, yeah, I don't know, where, where do people kind of want to start in terms of uh, specific stuff they want to touch on? Uh, I think we can kind of start with maybe the elephant in the room, which is how unlikable this protagonist oh, that Andrew Garfield yeah, is. the worst. Because yeah, I do think it's kind of the... Piece of shit. He's a shithead. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's kind of the backbone for what the whole movie is about. And I think why it does leave such a bad taste in people's mouths, because you're stuck with this mm-hmm. shithead uh for two hours and 19 minutes which is like not a short run to spend with this guy but i think it also like it all comes down to i feel like the entirety of the movie is about irresponsibility and like passing off responsibility uh both in what you should care about and what you should be doing and what you should be focusing on where you should be and like that is the driver of i feel like most of the plot is like whatever he should be doing instead he's doing this other thing that may or may i think like i always kind of hate when they're like but did any of the movie really happen (laughs) but i I think with this particular movie i think there's a case for like how unreliable he is as a narrator Mm -hmm. as a character and like how convenient everything throughout the movie is nothing isn't exactly where it's supposed to be when he needs it or who's supposed to be there when he needs them. And that's, like, a constantly recurring thing in this movie. Is like, anytime he gets down, he has a huge win with this pretty useless investigation that he's doing that nobody cares about, that he shouldn't be wasting his time on. We don't even get a sense as why he cares about it. Because it's not like he was, like... And that's part of where I'm like, why do I... Why should I even care about this story that, in my opinion, goes on for way too long? Like... The, you could oh, you could oh, narrow some oh, of those yeah. you could you could cut i would say at least three twists and turns out of this movie and it would be a lot better and you can just shorten the path 
make a little shortcut and it goes on for too long for to for something that you're like why does he even care why does he even care it's and not I like he was only having point. he didn't even have sex with her did he no, I guess he did. Well, no, I think he wanted they, to they, have they, sex they with her. And, and so. that's as far as they get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And I think that that is why it's such a frustrating, <laughs> like, journey. Mm-hmm. Is because why are you doing this? You aren't paying your car. You aren't paying your rent. You aren't, like, looking for a meaningful relationship with people. You don't have a job. You don't have any hobbies. You're hanging out with Topher Grace as he snoops on women in their house. Oh my god. Like, everything he's doing is not where he's supposed to be. And they constantly refer to it, too, and, like, other people being like, what are you doing for work? Or, like, how are things going? Or what are you up to? And he doesn't have anything going on. And instead, he's focusing on this, like, totally unimportant to his life or anyone's life around him mm-hmm. but he's like obsessed with uncovering some deeper meaning in something that had really no impact on his life yeah. in the end and it starts with him talking to the landlord and being like what happened and they're like he, he moved or she they moved she moved out that's all there is to it like what is weird about that and from there it's constantly investing in this thing that's like just stop at any point you don't have to keep doing this but he's like too involved in this empty journey that won't get him anything in the end that won't make his life more fulfilling but might maybe give him purpose which is what he's lacking in his life yeah so that part kind of like i felt like it was giving search party vibes where you're like really invested in a disappearance but that one seems merited and it it occurred to me like halfway through the movie where I was like we have no there is no characterization of Sam like other than a few things on screen which are the things you talked about but like one of the things that I felt was like so jarring and is at no point addressed so you get no idea of what his hobbies are he's got posters all over the wall but like you don't get the sense that he actually enjoys those things. And I was like, there is no way that this piece of shit would have this <laughs> nice of an apartment that's this well decorated. No way. That man has a studio apartment with one set of bed sheets that are probably yellow from never being washed. And like everything is disposable like there's no way that nice of an apartment belongs to that man and that's where i was like i will yeah 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 and that's where i was like who is this guy that he has posters all over the walls but we get no indication that he likes old movies to where i was like this feels like the director's apartment that they then put and that's what gave like film student film vibes is i was like i feel like this is them like if this were student film this would be their apartment and then they're just filming in their apartment. It's it's funny because I, I like, and maybe it's just because I finished with film school recently. When people say something like "this feels like a student film to me," I never quite know how to take that, um, especially because I've just seen so many student films in the last few years, and the only commonality between them is really that they're bad. Um, not all of them, but that's like <laughs> that's the only thing I frequently come back to I as sort elaborate. of like. If you like. something well but it, but it's I, I i think i understand what you're what you're talking about with the pop culture stuff a little bit it's 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 a movie 
I got the sense that it's there's a lot of um, um, there are a lot of camera things that would be nods to other movies, and there are a lot of references, and it's very you can tell the person who made the movie loves movies, and yeah. I feel like that's very much a film student film uh, yeah. movie. But like I I mean a lot of student film yeah. movies are bad. So I literally wrote down a high-end student film movie, but I feel like, uh, <laughs> just to clarify that, but, like, um, like I think Wes Anderson movies, especially his early stuff, watches, like, a student film, where it's like, these are I mean, all the people that I watched that I liked, and now I'm yeah. going to emulate them in my own story. I think there's something to the idea of wearing your influences on your sleeve that is that does feel yeah. sort of inherently, like, you know... That's something, certainly, that I've discussed with peers, that the idea of, like, in the beginning, you really see where people are pulling from. And then hopefully, as they build their voice more and more, it's like you see less of it and they feel more original. But, yeah, I do think there's there's really something I didn't mean it like a bad thing. The only thing, that when I say student, like a student film, is I feel like the plot could be where it's, like, more focused on the visuals than it is about the story. That's the only mm, negative yeah. that comes with that description, which that is a very again accurate, isn't like yeah. me being like film students suck, <laughs> uh, but well, more just no, like that's a, also given the a, ones that, would that be a I've fair seen. <laughs> <laughs> that would, yeah. I think, it, yeah, it also comes down to I think like resources and stuff of like, or yeah, I think to your point, Chris, of like overt influences being kind mm-hmm. of the forefront, mm-hmm. uh, or the message of the movie being like hammered to death because it's like yeah we've only got this much time and i have to make a statement about something so that can sometimes be like an element that makes it feel that way also I think to that's, like yeah, put it in perspective really as a writing a student in writing programs a lot of student writing is very like reductive of authors you like and where it's like trying to be literary and it's just not yeah. good <laughs> including my <laughs> own <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I think we've all, uh, anyone, you know, anyone who wants to be an artist has sort of walked down that path before, um, uh, like realizing, oh, you know, I'm just doing a shittier version of, you know, Tarantino (laughs) or Wes Anderson or whoever. Those are the, those are the two, literally the two that I remember, like day one of film school of first film school of like Matt Quinn, one of our professors saying like, Oh, Quinn Tarantino was Anderson ruined writing because everyone decided they wanted to be like them. Um, so it's not untrue. Did um, you guys read the? Uh, have you guys read the story about how Paul Thomas Anderson went to film school for I think a week and then he right. turned in? Okay, you guys all know. Okay, that's an amazing story though. I mean, it's worth yeah. your telling. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess leave listener hanging. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, like maybe listener, listener hasn't heard that story. <laughs> he turned in. I think it was David Mamet. He, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, they had to turn in a screenplay, and he just poached someone else's stuff. I think a playwright, and he got I think a C, and then was like, "So this is a joke," and then he dropped out and used the money to make the Boogie Nights short. Yeah, that's also Paul Thomas Anderson. So it's like you know, right. I think. The other, the other element, and I think it does speak to this movie in particular, is, like, I think student films, no matter how good they are, even the, even the really good ones, I think there's an immaturity that comes with mm-hmm. it because you're learning and you're, like, still developing your voice, like you were saying, Chris, and you're young. Like, 
most film students are younger and so this is like a time to like work through a lot of that like growing of what your worldview is what you're saying and i think there's an immaturity too under the silver lake yes that is purposeful that Mm -hmm. is meant to speak to sam and that is i think what if you're like who is sam what are his hobbies you don't even know his name and i think that is kind of the point is that sam is this generation of men of like men who don't really want to step into a more mature era of their life and instead kind of like like hold on to their playboy magazines that they first jerked off to when they were teenagers (laughs) and have a stack of nintendo power magazines and have Kurt Cobain posters as if it's anything unique of a personality. And I think that ultimately is what the movie says, is that, like, all of us are kind of in this pop culture Mm -hmm. turbine where it's, like... And I think this has a lot about, like, responsibility in general of how it views responsibility, of, like, you're just kind of swept up with what you're supposed to be doing or thinking or liking or spending your time on and his whole journey in this is to like try to find a purpose outside of that and it fails like it's not a journey that he needs to go on and he's just using all the shit that he already knows to make up this like fantastical journey maybe maybe it's all made up but like yeah yeah the the immaturity i think is like palpable and i think it's not because uh david robert mitchell is immature because I think It Follows is a very mature kind of, like, mm-hmm. uh, take on that kind of movie. I think this is... You have to almost live the way... It has to be a two-hour and 20-minute, jer- like, shaggy dog story. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a journey that goes nowhere. A waste of his time. And kind of a waste of ours. Yeah. But in the end, I think that is what I find so, like, funny about it. Like, because it, I think it is a funny movie because it is like what was all this for and what what did it get him in the end and it got him nothing he gets nothing in the end and i i I definitely i think you know i think immature is a good way to describe this movie in a lot of ways i i also it's interesting because i be i feel like whether you sort of think this is a step forward or a step back for david robert mitchell as a filmmaker i do feel like there is a certain immaturity to the character and to a lot of just what the movie's doing, a lot of the movie's aesthetic. Uh, I, to get back to Andrew Garfield for a second, I think, you know, I, I, I absolutely, again, Matt, we're in lockstep on this. Uh, I say this as someone who's, you know, uh, recording this podcast with my 2001 a Space Odyssey poster, you know, visible and, and the window in the background. And, you know, <laughs> I think... Batman behind me. Yeah, <laughs> like, the thing is, that it's like, to a certain extent, like, I... You know, uh, although the character is a real piece of shit, I think that there is a there is a part of me that I think one of the reasons the movie resonated with me is there's also and part of this is the Los Angeles of it all. You know, there was definitely a time in my life where, you know, probably in my mid 20s where it's like hanging out in L.A., not doing a lot, you know, drinking smoking um i'm not you know i don't want to draw too many parallels i'm not you know creeping on (laughs) girls windows with with fucking drones but like there is a certain like just swath of the population in this city that is very aimless like that and the kind of thing 
that they're all holding on to is pop culture. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I've mm-hmm. certainly been that person. And I think Sam is that person. I mean, I agree with you to a certain extent, like it is a sweet apartment. Uh, and he has some nice, like cool frame posters. But the Kurt Cobain is, like you said, it's so ridiculous. The fact that he's like, you know, fucking over this poster. It's this, this, it, it does feel like this very juvenile thing. And I think that's really, you know, that's the character. It's really this person who's let themselves be defined by pop culture and him kind of finding like he's looking for meaning in all these things. And it's sort of like, oh, maybe there wasn't, you know, maybe this wasn't where I should have been looking for meaning to begin with. Uh, and I think it's it's a weird thing because it's like, it's a pretty, I don't know, it takes a pretty cynical view of Hollywood in some ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously we're all, you know, talking about this movie right now and you're you know this podcast exists because we all you know you guys love movies i love movies but at a certain point too i think that movie is also it is about a little bit about the dangers of just being the type of person that defines themselves completely by the things they like uh and maybe that's why you know to tyranny's point sam doesn't necessarily feel like that fleshed out of a character is because he's he's kind of empty at a certain point he's kind of you know just been consumed by the things that he consumes so yeah and i i will also you know support in saying that there are a lot of points of recognition not with certain things but with aspects of sam's character that you're kind of like uh yeah like <laughs> topher grace literally says like there's a whole generation of men that like and then i can't remember exactly what he says but basically like sums up yeah the the thesis of the movie that like all these shithead men are just like kind of waiting to grow up and like it includes how they treat women yeah how they treat their their careers how they treat like socializing it's just like a lot of doofuses that are like running around and i don't think it has like a very positive take on women in the movie i think that like the misogyny is pretty yeah evident but i think because it's told from his perspective that's also a statement about him i think it's about how he views women and doesn't even recognize that he's maybe the problem that like he's actually the one who's treating women like disposable objects or like plot points to get him further along mm-hmm. to find some meaning when it's like this is all for nothing like you you are not engaging with your life in any meaningful way yeah i think matt you open this door that we should walk through it i it's it's an interesting i also love your point about topher grace because it's like in a way he's the character who frequently makes the most sense in the movie and yet he's also just the worst he's just like (laughs) the creepiest nasty dude um but yeah i mean that's it's you know this is where it becomes one of these things where it's like this is a movie where i as much as i love it i also have a hard time necessarily combating people like i have a hard time necessarily dismissing people's critiques of it because like Mm -hmm. you know the idea that it's a the idea that it's a uh a movie that that the idea that the movie's making some commentary on misogyny because sam's a very misogynist character i think you can make that argument i also think it's kind of it's hard for me to argue against the idea that the movie is kind of misogynist and juvenile like we were talking about i mean like the amount of like tits that are in this movie is ridiculous the amount of naked women in general and you know, I mean, like, Ricky Lindholm's character, I was curious on IMDb, she's just credited as actress, 
and I'd read the script for <laughs> I'd read the script for this a little while back, and it's like it's not any better. Even on the page, she's just actress. It's kind of like, and you know, and I think that's partially because that's who she really she is to Sam. Like literally, he only sees her in costume. She's basically she could be I anybody. See. What's the bird but, lady credited as? I think probably like bird lady. Um, bird or bird like lady neighbor. or neighbor would top, be my guess. Here, topless bird woman. <laughs> so like. <laughs> Again, it's like, it's a little hard for me to sit here and tell you, like, no, actually, it's this really, like, sly commentary on misogyny. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I I don't know. It's it's kind of, it's a a messy movie that way. Um, Anyway, I feel like Matt and I have talked a lot. Colin and Tierney, if you want (laughs) to jump in here. Uh, Just about the bird lady, I was like, I could see this being an Amy Sedaris character. And that, I was like, (laughs) that is a movie that I want to watch. Just her life only. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I actually had a note as I was watching this that I was like, I spent a significant chunk of the first bit, the the part that I liked a lot, trying to figure out if this was uh, a male director or a female director trying, making fun of male directors. And in my mind, I know that I liked the movie a lot less when I found out that it was a male director and not a female director making fun of male directors. Because if that were true, that would be, I think you could actually do more. And that's kind of where I'm like, I feel like the thing I keep coming back to is that it is just underdeveloped. To where if it yeah. is about immaturity, hone in on that. Cut all the other crap out and then really, like... Because at the moment, it's kind of like a little bit of immaturity or, like, a little bit of misogyny. Enough to make the viewer, at least me, uncertain as to whether it's the director's taste or a commentary on the protagonist. And that's where I was like, I can't... And in the beginning, I thought it was pretty strong. And that's where I was like, I feel like this might be a woman making fun of male directors. Mm, And I was like, all for it. And then as time went on, I was like, no, this is definitely a male director. And then at the end, I found out. But um, to where, and that's where I'm like, I really just feel like it could, if it, if it had just gone through, like, I don't know, just like a tiny filter, I like, you might not even. You could condense scenes to keep the jokes and stuff in, because I think some of those were pretty funny, like the dog pooping as it's eating was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but, like, so you can, like, still keep the jokes, keep the mystery and, like, the meanderingness of it, but then, like, cut some out, and then you can bump, like, boost the commentaries, which, like, what you guys are saying is interesting, and it's not like i'm i got waves of that watching it but i would never have guessed that it's the actual thesis of the movie we've also seen it more than once and that's not to say that you're required to see it more than once but i also don't remember picking up this much the first time around i was like this is kind of a fun hang and it was very weird but like (laughs) i don't know what it all means in the end Mm -hmm. and only now on this third one even moments in the beginning i was like oh got it like the kurt cobain thing was like oh of course it's kurt cobain and then for that to pay off later mm-hmm. at the songwriter's house was like, yeah, okay. So this is very purposeful to put him in a place of he thinks he's rebellious. He thinks he stands out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. It's all been a ruse and he's bought into it. And even on his journey to try to find purpose, he was playing into the hand that he was dealt exactly like everyone expected. So it's mm-hmm. like, 
I, I think on the first view, though, it is kind of like, what the fuck is all this for? <laughs> yeah. But that was a what great scene. It just took us two hours to get there. Which and is then you too just long. Move on. And then, and then, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then it's like it never happened. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I love about the songwriter scene. It's so insane, and then he just keeps on living his life. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> Kyle, I feel like you were gonna say. No, I was just. Um, I think as I was watching. So last night when I watched it, that, that's just the second time I've seen it. Um, and like I said, I my opinion on it ha- didn't really change. I, I didn't feel like I got anything new from a repeat viewing that I didn't get the first time. Um, to me, it ultimately comes down to like, I, I just, I like when I go see a movie, I want to admit, I like, I want to be entertained. And I think there's just too much shagginess on this movie to keep me entered. Like there are parts of this movie where I'm just like, okay, like I don't like, I'm not that interested in what's going on here, but then there's a scene like the songwriter scene which I think is like genuinely one of the best scenes of the entire movie. And I'm just like, Oh cool. Let's do this more. And then it goes back to like the shagginess of him just like mm-hmm. kind of being stoned wandering around. And I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want this, <laughs> but that, that's fair. What yeah. I will say is as I was watching this last night, I felt like this, you know, I think I've, I've dropped this take on the pod before. I don't, Chris, I don't know if you've, if you've heard this, but, um, the my current take on movies that I've I've been workshopping is I think movies should either be ninety minutes or less or three <laughs> hours or longer, and I think yeah. that this for me personally, um, I think that this movie is like the perfect test case for that because I think this movie either needs to have a lot of the fat cut off of it and trimmed down, or we need more like we need more shit like I need more. Um, I need more examples of what's going on. Like I, I, like right now I feel like we're just in that nebulous, like two hour and 20 minute zone, which is outside of this movie, just generally movies that are two hours and 20 minutes is my least favorite length for a movie. I feel like mm. every single time I see a movie that's that length or, you know, like give or take five minutes, I'm always like, we needed to sh- trim this down. Like I, I, I do think that I would have liked there's two different versions of this movie, both a shorter version or a longer version that I think I would have attracted with. I would have connected with more. Yeah. I I think that's a fair (laughs) critique, especially because so much of the storylines you're talking about, you know, everything with Jefferson sevens and the comic book writer and the owl lady and, you know, the songwriter stuff, um, Mm -hmm. the, what is the, the, the starlet, uh, uh, whatever, like oh, all yeah. of that, it feels oh, like n- yeah. none of it necessarily coheres. Yeah. I think there is. I will. The one thing shooting I'll say stars. about all shooting, shooting, shooting stars, shooting right? Stars. Yeah. The one thing I I will say about all of that is that there is another thing I like about this movie and sort of the 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 times that we're living in, which is what it says about conspiracy theories, which is kind of like that they're nonsense and they don't go anywhere. Like that's I think another the other reason other than the art stuff and like the kind of what it's saying about masculinity, if again, if it's saying anything that's so hard to, you can, I feel like there's so much you can pull from this movie or you can pull absolutely nothing from it because it is so so messy. But, you know, seeing this in 2019, you know, we're pre just pre 2020. Again, like just the amount of like nonsense conspiracy stuff that has gone on in the past couple of years. I think this movie, even though theoretically, whether you want to read how much of what you're seeing on screen is, 
true or not true, I think, you know, it's interesting. Does he uncover some potentially real conspiracy theories? Yes, but he also just goes down this, like, dark rabbit hole to find out that in the end, like, it kind of doesn't mean anything. And I think that there's something, again, for the times that we live in, where it's like all these elements don't necessarily cohere, but you could make the argument that that's kind of the point. Again, I feel like it's a little, like, that's almost... You know, that's almost me arguing against myself. Is like the point is that it doesn't make sense. But like, <laughs> right. I, I I don't know. That's just kind of where I've landed with it. Tierney, you you raised your hand in the, <laughs> in I did, the but video then I, chat. <laughs> I was gonna say, isn't Avatar two hours and thirty minutes? But it's longer. It's two hours and forty. So yeah. Uh, and also, when I when I rewatch Avatar, I watch the three hour version. So okay. Oh. Also, I just think of it as a three hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like most movies. When Is there an example of a... Like, what's an example of a two-hour 20? I, I so it's, that it's the just one that fresh I always on go, your... The mind. one that I always go back to is Ford versus Ferrari. Mm. I, I, there, I like... I really... I do... I think there's a two-hour version of that movie that is one of my favorite movies of the year. But I... And I think it's partially, like, you know, by the time I see movies here in Denver, even if it's, like a big, you know, movie that's getting a wide release opening weekend. Like I've, because of who I am and like what I pay attention to when I'm on the internet, like I know like how people are reacting to things. And so by the time I saw Ford versus Ferrari, Hmm. basically everybody was like, holy shit, this movie's so good. It's one of the best movies of the year, blah, 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 blah. And by the time I saw it, I was like, yeah, I do think there is a two hour version that hits that high mark that people are saying. But for me, the two hour and 20 minute version there's just a lot of bloat on it that like dropped it down a peg for me. Can I, can can I just throw talk about, two... oh. oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Journey. Chris, I was go. just going to, well, I, I, just have, gonna I say... have a completely non-related question to okay. Silver Lake. So if we, if we can get back to that, that's great. <laughs> I mean, mine's not particularly related. I was just going to say, can we just talk about the level of self-awareness that you need to have to be like, this is the length of movie that I don't care for. Versus I'm just like, <laughs> I didn't care for that movie and have never well, paid attention to the length of it. Other than I okay, will say, me... a 37 to 42 minute television show, no. It's got to be 30. Mm. You could easily make that 30 or you could fill it up to an hour. But that exact moment is like you're just yeah. at, like the Americans. You could cut that down to a 30 minute show. It's, it'd be even better than it is now. You know, I and kind of like someone who loves the Americans. Yeah, I kind of like that take. I just, okay, let me throw it as since again since we've like talked about. Okay, this sorry. Now, let me throw out let me throw out two titles to you guys, sort of Collins theory from this last year, which I think are kind of the two the two movies of the year in many ways. Everything, everywhere, all at once, and Top Gun Maverick. You guys remember that the you guys remember the running time of each of those. I no, I think that everything, everywhere, all at once was around that two hour and twenty. I think two two twenty five, two nineteen, baby, <laughs> just yeah, like under the yep. Silver Lake, <laughs> and then uh, Top Gun Maverick, two hours and ten minutes. So, yeah. do you think in those ten minutes that you like, uh, you know, do you think? I think maybe I just like messy movies as well. Do you think there is a ten minutes you could? cut out of a movie like everything everywhere all at once that would make it Ab- feel yes. tighter absolutely really? more interesting I, Col- colin and tyranny different takes I, right away love it <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking back i was like what would you even cut that movie was just stuff happening all the time 
Yeah, but I think a lot of the stuff was just like, like, I, so I mean, at this point, you know, enough, anybody who's listening to this episode has probably seen everything everywhere all at once. So like, I don't feel too bad getting into mild spoiler territory, but I think the stuff that worked really well for me was the emotional stuff in that movie. And I think that like the scene between Michelle Yeoh and uh, Kiwi Kwan where they're in like the 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 universe where like she's in the, the, the Wong Kar Wai universe, basically. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That scene, which like is the scene that people are all talking about, especially now that he's winning all these awards, which God bless. Um, like that that scene works really really well for me. The dedication to the dumb Rakakuni joke, which I didn't really Truly. think was that funny, and then they just Cut kept it. going back to it. Like all of that stuff. Cut it. Is not oh, see, like I it love, just it didn't work for me. It's and it, this hot is, dog fingers. This is interesting. Yeah, hot this dog is interesting. Funny, but I don't remember raccoon. Who them. is that even? It's a what? raccoon <laughs> that's doing the ratatouille on the head. Man, that gets I, taken away by animal control. This is also and just then. God, one okay, of those where now. how does a movie play with an audience really matters because my audience just lost their shit every time you cut to Rakakuni. You know, this is an interesting one where as well where it's like Freddie, you know, has very strong feelings about everything everywhere all at once, not super positive, but loves Top Gun. And that's only a, mi- a difference of like 10 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just find it interesting how you can have a movie like, you know, maybe like a movie like Top Gun, which again, people really love and ours generally described as really tight like, people have just said there's not a lot of fat on that movie. Yet the difference between that and Everything Everywhere is, like, it's less than 10 minutes. It's just, I think, Everything Everywhere is trying to do so much and yeah. to bring it back to Under the Silver Lake again. Everywhere? Everywhere all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and Under the Silver Lake, another A24 movie, which I would also say is trying to do maybe too many things. Um, can we... I, I wanted to bring up the sort of the aesthetic that Tierney had, had talked about before because another thing I really love about this film... Uh, is the look of it. Uh, I think... I've heard some people say that they think the photography is a little bit ugly, that it's too digital. I actually... I think... So this movie was... um, This movie was shot on... uh, This movie was shot on on digital. um, uh, And uh, uh, I believe... Let's see here. It's the the Alexa Mini. Yeah, so the Aria Alexa Mini... um, which again, I, I, I kind of I understand where people are coming from with the like, when they say a movie looks too digital, that looks kind of weird and ugly. I think that actually works in this movie's favor because there's a certain eeriness to these. You get these like shots mm-hmm. of bright sunlight, these kind of gorgeous Los Angeles vistas, but it's always just a little bit off. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that you can really do with digital. I think that when people who know how to use digital, use it well, like David Fincher also comes to mind, who also tends to make movies where it just like, they exist in worlds where everything's a little bit, just a little bit off. Um, I think that's one thing that I really like about this movie and that I really like about the use of photography. Um, uh, they actually and, show uh, a smog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, I, and it's a city. This is you know, it's it's a city that is so beautiful and so ugly at the same time, which I think the movie does a really good job capturing as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I to your point, Tierney. I um, this when he like cracks the uh, what it, like rub Dean's head and wait under Newton when he like cracks mm-hmm. that code and then he just like looks out. And, 
and he just like he sees the observatory and you can barely see it because it's so smoggy oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah this feels also, right. there's and no this is people kind of... at the griffith observatory i'm like what which that is always that is insane that, that is every time i watch this movie i'm like griffith is never not crowded so that is that is ridiculous of all the surreal things yeah, yeah. that's the most um, unbelievable but i i think it's so interesting to talk about a movie like this uh shot by it says mike um jill Jalakis, I believe, is, I don't know, I'm mm. probably butchering the pronunciation. Who else was shot? It follows, I think is a pretty good looking movie. Us, which is, mm. I think, another really good looking movie. But comparing yeah. it to going back to something like Inherent Vice, which Tyranny, as I think you point out, like, does have a very, is a similar type of movie in some way, but has such a different aesthetic. Um, I mean, that movie is, uh, it's shot on, I think, is it shot on 35? Um, Right? Uh, I think it's seven. Is it is it seventy? I don't know. I'm trying to think if what. I think it is seven. It might be seventy. I was gonna say I think Um, they do it at the music box for because I've seen it at the music box like four times. But I I mean the they have a a seventy millimeter. Oh, they have a seventy millimeter print for sure. But I don't know if it was shot. No, I think you're right. I think. here uh oh no wow so it was it was it was shot it was on shot shot on 35 but they use these they also use these old panavision cameras and like Mm. there is something to me that like inherent vice although there's darker parts of the movie it just has such a gorgeous like warm sumptuous aesthetic i'm kind of like who wouldn't want to live in that version of los angeles even though again it's not actually like los angeles los angeles but like who wouldn't want to be in this like environment this like groovy 70s you know even with all the darkness it's just like that's such an inviting world whereas like under the silver lake is kind of like ugly and flat and even the stuff that's beautiful is like a little distorted and anyway again i just i think that's another thing where i've heard people talk about as a a negative of the movie and i actually think it's kind of a strength so i agree with that i think even like the moments that are shot like an old movie which are plenty Mm -hmm. of those kind of shots of like the first time you really get Riley Keough in a close-up, and she steps into this beam of light, oh, which is insane. very yeah. noir, very, like, old Hollywood aesthetic, and it's, like, so saturated and so false-looking mm-hmm. that the whole movie really does look false, and I think comparing it to It Follows is, is also interesting because It Follows feels very lived-in, yeah. it feels very, like, real and palpable, and like settings, like houses you've been in, mm-hmm. rooms you've been in, like it all feels natural. And this does not. At no point does this movie feel real or like it exists in a real world. Everything mm-hmm. is, there's like animation breakaways, which also I think are a fun uh, yeah. addition is like the quick cutaway to like the zine animation. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything does feel artificial and cu- cultivated and curated and false like even i mean the parties feel when you say like i don't want to really hang out in those vibes i think like that is what they're supposed to feel like it feels like you're an outsider like he is Mm -hmm. it feels like i don't know who these people are i don't know what the appeal of these get-togethers is it all feels very put on it might be related to a cult like all things that i don't care for in everyday life and that's where i think like yes cinematography is probably part of it with inherent vice but also people in inherent vice are themselves like no one's really trying to be somebody 
And yeah, that's part. Yeah, it's. But yeah, it, yeah, I interrupted you, Matt. Go ahead. No, and I, and I think it's like the characters in Inherent Vice are all doing their own thing. <laughs> Everyone in Under the Silver Lake is looking for purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's also like a very, it's a quick moment, but it's a very twisted, cynical statement about the one balloon girl who's been at all these parties, that is part of this shooting stars prostitution yeah. oh my escort God. service when he's like oh were you in something and she was like i was on a sitcom between the ages of five months and six <laughs> right, months right <laughs> between yes. i think it i think it was a soap opera i can't remember exactly yes, but i think it yeah. was a soap opera and the, the line delivery is incredible because she's like between the ages of three and six and then there's like a slight pause and then she says months it's yes. so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I think the idea of her having red balloons and having people pop red balloons yeah. is basically playing into the idea that like these like she's being she's a sexualized child in Hollywood. That like literally that's why she's part of the service is because she was part of the industry and it's men who are able to pop her cherry. Yeah, and like, oh. I mean it's a disgusting statement, but mm-hmm. it is like all everyone is playing in for however they can be exceptional. I mean, and like yeah. you know, s- spoilers, but like Riley Keogh agrees to go into a bunker and die, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she wants to be related closely uh, to this idea of royalty. Yeah, and Andrew Garfield does all the shit he does so that he can maybe be part of something important, and so like jimmy simpson at the parties is wearing yeah. women's blouses and trying to like he's working and he's going to these dumb parties like nobody is themselves at yeah all. right like literally uh ricky lindholm is like a different costume every time yeah. so like no one is not artificial everyone has a layer of artificiality on them as part of i mean and this is a statement i think kind of on la, LA as much as like chris and i love being here is like it is you are entering into a land of artificiality because that's the industry that runs Mm -hmm. the whole machine so it's like whether it's music or it's movies or it's tv how are you buying into this machine which is ultimately what he decides he has to do on this phone call Mm -hmm. with riley keogh is like i guess i'm just gonna have to make the best of it of yeah. this, like, shitty game I'm part of. Did you see, like, uh, what caught me in that moment, too, watching it this time around, is Sam looks directly at the Hollywood sign at one point yeah. while he's talking about this. Uh, and, like, uh, there's a small part of me that's like, is this David Robert Mitchell expressing his views of, like, Hollywood at a certain point? Where he's sure. like, now I'm in this thing. I'm not getting out. Um, but, yeah, Matt, I think to your point about Los Angeles, like, it occurred to me while watching this, this would be a really great double feature with uh with something like la la land which is a con- yeah. <laughs> also contemporary los angeles um also griffith park also griffith park yeah um also ridiculous apartments but it's like well that movie has this like really rose colored you know look in the end like you know if you stick if you stick with it you can make it this movie is like no you're probably gonna like end up depressed and alone and the girl that you love is gonna go die in a bunker and like Balloon Girl, who's played by Grace Van Patten, who's the, her daughter, her, she's the daughter of a big TV director, which I feel like adds another oh. funny mm-hmm. meta element to this. I mean, we could talk about there's so many people in this cast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I yeah. think I, I just... Shoshana Mamet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another, another 
uh, nepo baby, I guess, to use a popular phrase. Um, uh, I um, I did want to talk about. Um, sorry, I feel like I I just drawn out. Isn't on girls about this movie. entirely no. nepo babies? Yes. Yeah, I think yes. that's that's the. It's like someone's uh, their dad was in a band, and someone's dad, Brian anyway, Jennings. I don't know, whatever, but. Right, yeah. yeah. Brian Williams. Brian Williams. That's, yeah. Right. Who's yeah. Brian Jennings? Um, I don't know. Sounds like someone. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I, I also, we, I mean, we haven't even talked about potentially the key to the, you know, the whole, is it about misogyny, is it not, his, the reveal of his former, his ex-girlfriend at the end. And like, you know, his weird obsession with women and dogs and that how, I, I don't know, I feel like we're already going in circles plot-wise. I, I guess, um, before I just, like, drone on too much, I did want to talk a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the score, because that's another element of this movie that always stands out to me, and of Garfield's performance. Obviously, we've talked about Sam as a character a little bit, but um, I'm curious where everybody's kind of at, at with those with those elements. I thought, um, the, I mean, the score is just all old movies, right? Well, it's, it's pastiche for old movies. Yeah. Okay. Specifically for like Hitchcock, who we literally yeah. see the grave of in this movie, and <laughs> yeah. who he has posters for Rear Window in his apartment as he's looking out of binoculars and people. Oh, does oh man, I didn't even know. So it's Rear like Window. it's layered on, and Hitchcock, famous misogynist, famous like user of women to like do something of greatness in his life, yeah. and like is him admiring and being adjacent to Hitchcock, especially. When his mom calls him at the when he wakes up at the graveyard and talks about that actress and he happens to be on her grave, she said she resonated with this woman. Is it that he's resonating with Hitchcock in the way he's like spinning this mm. suspense fantasy uh, and that basically treats women as disposable plot points that just like move along the the suspense of his journey? Yeah, um, I have a question. But, Was Hitchcock? like super super bad or was he just a man of his time and everybody did that i mean i think probably both but he like psychologically tortured actresses that he worked with so he's and cheated on his wife yeah i think he might be worse than kubrick it's also it's gone now but the other poster i used to have behind me was for psycho (laughs) 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 so everything you like is terrible and the people that you created everything you like are the worst is what is the point of this um yeah but the uh, the score to get back to your question about the score i love it uh i and i think because it is this like big swell every time there's a is a a moment that you're supposed to feel is like an old hollywood moment yeah music climb like it crescendos and it makes these moments suspenseful uh and has a very noir vibe like the whole movie is a neo-noir and the music is half of it. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I I think it's one of the best elements of the movie. And without it, I don't know if the movie would it would not work. I thought of that while watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like. Yeah. I like the score. Um. And that's not necessarily fair, but I it didn't like stand out to me hmm. in the way that the It Follows score stands out to me. Hmm. 
like I generally like my my personal like barometer for whether or not a score is noteworthy is if it literally is noteworthy like as I'm watching the movie if it's something that like jumps out to me and like this one I do agree that it it is effective in what it like in setting certain moods at certain times and like it's effective in all of those ways but it it's not it was not something that I was like oh shit I want to go like listen to this after the fact whereas like yeah. I have listened to the it follows score outside mm-hmm. of watching the movie um, but and I will say I did one. I did like the music choices outside of like the score, like the um, like the the scene where they go to I can't remember exactly where they are, but they go underground somewhere and there's just a bunch yeah. of like 90s rock music playing like mm-hmm. all of that stuff was fun. Um, so like I liked I liked a lot of the music choices. It's just the score itself didn't necessarily like jump out to me. Not that it was a bad score, but it just like it wasn't one that I like fully resonated with me yeah i think it's an interesting mix of that you know sort of 90s rock that sam would have grown up with and that he loves and idolizes and then those noir elements that you're talking about Mm -hmm. you know it's it's funny colin i've heard i've heard people describe a great score as exactly what you're talking about as something that really kind of like bites you and like you kind of can't imagine the movie without it i've also heard some people say that they want the opposite in a score where they don't notice it too much like when i think about like what is the what is the best movie score of all time I always go to like Star Wars because it's like you instantly know like bum 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 like, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, bu- 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 which is anyway, just the planets um, by Gustav Holtz. Holst. <laughs> yeah, everything's um, influenced by something. I Everything mean, is not recycled. Um, I'm just bringing the classical I mean, music genre here. I have the vinyl for <laughs> that somewhere here, and I'm sure Matt has the vinyl for for the Star Wars. But like, I think there's some people that would like not say the Star Wars score is like probably there's people that are annoyed by it because it is so like you are watching a movie um whereas i think with a movie like this it's interesting what you said about like the it follows score like totally you could listen to that on its own and it's it's weird though because i find that that score to be almost like even though that's like um synth music right it's another one Mm -hmm. that almost feels more less artificial in the movie to get to that idea what you're talking about mad with artificiality in this movie it's like it's crazy that he's working with so many of the same collaborators but to different results because again, it's like same cinematographer, same working with disaster piece for the score again. But like the music in it follows is so perfectly like, even though it do, it does jump out at you, it's like, well, of course this movie has a creepy synth score. And I think yeah. there's something there's something about the noir score of like Under the Silver Lake where you're like, I I remember it's one of the first things I noticed about the movie where I was like, I kind of can't believe that like this is the mm-hmm. score, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go with it because it's like just these. <laughs> old school Hollywood noir strings and it's like you know you get that moment at the end where Andrew Garfield in true like you know scumbag movie star mode the last shot of him just smoking a cigarette on the porch you know the light hitting him just so as the music kind of swells and you cut to cut to R.E.M. but um anyway clearly uh uh I could just join on forever so Garfield (laughs) since since we got to him I feel like we gotta touch on your boy Matt how do we all feel about him here I mean, top I think five perform- I'm just gonna throw top five Garfield performances or no. That's what I, that's what I'm gonna. Ask. Yes, I think so. But I also feel like some of the more notable ones that he's known for, like Hacksaw Ridge, which he got nominated Ugh. for, or Silence, which I think <laughs> people liked. Uh, I don't think are his best. I think it's stuff like this, or I mean, Tick Tick Boom. I think he's fantastic in, but I think mm-hmm. he's so good. And this is maybe I think maybe to discuss Andrew Garfield specifically in this movie is like. I think maybe 
as good as he is, as much as I can't imagine this movie without him, if the actor who played him, who played Sam, was less likable, mm-hmm. the results of the movie may be different. I, I think, think that's a great may, point. Yeah. And so, like, because I still like Andrew Garfield, even for the shithead that he is in this movie, I'm still, like, as we mentioned of the criteria for why I picked this, <laughs> attracted to him uh, and think he's, like, you know a star to lead this and his performance is great but if it was somebody like casey affleck i think the movie would have (laughs) very different end results we're like oh this is about a shithead and the way he treats people is shitty yeah and he's a bastard like can you imagine if it was like a like a miles teller like a pre like a pre-top gun miles teller or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're just like oh my god shut up this guy needs to fuck off and maybe that's why they picked andrew garfield because you are spending two hours and 20 minutes with this guy yeah and if it was somebody even less like inherently likable as andrew garfield the results may have been clearer but the experience may have been diminished because you just like actively don't want to be around and he falls ass backwards into bed with all these women which i always find like ridiculous you know that that part again is it's like you know not super not super relatable for me but like i guess there is a sense (laughs) in which it is andrew garfield like he is even though he's a complete shithead in this movie he's still a good looking guy um but yeah i don't know colin tierney where where do you stand on this performance i think so uh, this is not an original Colin take, but I do, uh, it was, I don't remember who I saw it, but it was one of the various letterbox reviews I saw last night, but it was something to the effect of like talking about how, you know, Andrew Garfield for all intents and purposes burst onto the scene in social network. Like yes. that was where most mm-hmm. people first saw him. And he's Literally one of the only, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> He's one of like the only so this the the letterbox review is basically like he's one of the only likable people in that movie. Yes. And then he like he comes now like 10 years later to this <laughs> point where he is like maybe one of the least likable people in any movie. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. I do yeah. I think he's really good in this movie. Um I think to your point Chris, he looks bad in this movie i think like purposefully but like um (laughs) like it's like not a flattering haircut on him um like he either needs to like awkward he's he's just like really awkward like how he moves around is really weird yeah um he either like needs to let the beard fully grow out or shave (laughs) and it's just like it's not like an attractive version of this man who is objectively a very attractive person um so i like to your point of him just like falling ass backwards into bed with all of these like actually attractive women, it's like bonkers. millionaires, billionaires. <laughs> yeah. It's just so 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 crazy. Um, but I, I I I don't know if I have put enough thought into uh, Andrew Garfield's oeuvre um, to like fully make an argument one way or another. But I don't think that off the top of the dome i don't think i would like fight you on top yeah. five performance i think you know your you, the letterbox stuff that you were talking about i think is what really gets at it for me where like i remember seeing him in social network and thinking he was so good in that movie just bursting onto the scene in that film even though Tierney does not remember that he's in it literally but, like, forgettable like, he's he's God. like and he's the one likable character in the movie and then i felt like 
he kind of spent the next decade just doing that, just kind of being likable, but boring. And then so to see him do this movie, I remember one of my one of my friends, uh, another Matt, Matt Brassel, texted me. I think he watched it like he I told him, like, I'd watched it one day, really, really liked it and um, and told him uh, about it. And I think he watched it literally like the same day. And I get a text from him, like, you know, he's 20 minutes in or whatever, and it's like, oh, my God, Spider-Man's punching kids. Um, and, like, there's something about that, to, the willingness to, like, be such a scumbag in this movie. And I, I, I think you make a great point, Matt. I don't know if it works if you cast an actor who has less of that persona, but I think that's maybe why it's my favorite performance from him, even though he's also kind of, I think, having a moment right now. I've seen stuff in the past few years. Tick, Tick, Boom, for sure. Um, and the Tammy Faye movie, and even I didn't watch all of it, but I think he was good in the Under the Banner of Heaven show. I think he's kind of, I think he's kind of coming into his own as an actor, which is exciting. And I would argue that Under the Silver Lake is low key the beginning of that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Tyranny, are we think... crazy? Is he good? Oh, oh go oh, ahead. Sorry, sorry, Kyle. No, Tyranny. Uh, yeah, we never heard your thoughts on A. Dot Garf. Well, I was gonna say <laughs> I suppose he'd end up in my top five because this is the only movie I've seen him in that I remember excluding his cameo in the the most recent Spider-Man movie. Like, I never saw any of the Spider-Man movies. I never saw Hacksaw Ridge. Never saw Tick, Tick, Boom. Like, literally just never seen any of these movies. I know who he is, but he's... I've just never seen anything he's, like, led in. Um, But as you were talking about it, you were listing people who would have been like bring a real shitty aspect to it i was like you know who actually would have probably nailed the point of this movie to a t i think i know who you're gonna say who do you think i'm gonna say timothy chalamet a hundred percent one thousand percent because he (laughs) is literally that person like he would be like the like, it's a character he's played several times, but he would be taking it to a different level, and he just yeah. looks like the part. To where I'm like, Yo, fuck boy. this movie would have been <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> you know, I think I get where you're going, Tierney, but I think I think you got to move it to New York if you're doing that. This is such an L.A. movie, and Chalamet, Chalamet we all know Chalamet is a New York baby, but... Um, yeah. You know, he's in just the streets. <laughs> a scummy, a scummy guy sleeping his way through, uh, through Brooklyn. Like, yeah, that's probably, yeah. you know, literally what he did at NYU, apparently, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I think it's like he—he's probably enough of that person, but then looks nice to where he might be more of like, like on the spectrum from like Andrew Garfield to Casey Affleck. He'd be more on the Casey Affleck side, but he looks mm. nice, so people would watch it. Interesting. Here's my question to follow up on the Andrew Garfield discussion. <laughs> is and is Sam the dog killer? Yeah, oh, yeah, we mm. haven't even touched on that yet either. Because uh, on this rewatch, I think he might be. I. Uh, it's interesting because I yeah. second rewatch, I was sure he was. This time, I'm not so sure. Mm. I don't know. I actually kind of bought that he he bought the dog treats not even for mm-hmm. sarah but for that ex that we meet at the beginning yeah. and he's maybe been holding on to them because you know he has this idea of her in his head but he might i don't know he might be the dog killer as well i it's you know there's there's that whole scene where it's like you know 
anyone could kill a dog could kill a person he's like i don't know if that's true um <laughs> even though he has killed a dude by that point so yeah and there's like the hints this time around were a little more like okay there's enough evidence here that i'm willing to start to see him maybe as the dog killer mostly that uh one the drawing of the dog killer is wearing a hoodie and the final outfit that he's in in this movie is a red hoodie. Mm. Uh, he's got the dog treats, and the first time that we see him feed the dog treat to uh, Riley Keough's dog, it's just this hand emerging from the edge of the frame with the treat in this very, like, sinister, yeah. suggestive way of, like, what are you, like, who is this? And mm-hmm. the way he kind of wholesale, and I think it all comes down ultimately to him reading the zine that describes the dog killer and that supposedly you know this old actor saw this one dog and then basically saw all dogs as the reason he wasn't successful and you know i think in the same vein of misogyny that this character exists within he sees all women as the problem yeah because he doesn't have his girlfriend anymore and it's the same kind of like one equals all and it gets reinforced when he says, like, I know I shouldn't say this, but I really hate the homeless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's from one guy who's, like, you know, unhinged and yelling at him. But he basically wholesales, right, he writes yeah. off all homeless people. Even though, just earlier in the movie, the king of the homeless people <laughs> led him to find more information. So, like, even that is not enough for him to, like, accept that, you know, he shouldn't be making these kind of blanket uh, beliefs. But, like, if he does that with the homeless, and if he does that with women in the way that these women are treated in the movie, why wouldn't he do it with dogs as this kind of, like, disposable, Mm -hmm. like, root of all of his problems? Mm -hmm. Uh, Does he he seem like the type that kills dogs? Probably not. He's, like, he seems just as invested in, well, and that's the other thing. In the same, you know, instance of, like, putting your responsibilities and your attention on the wrong things constantly in the movie while he's investigating this other nonsense that he ends up uncovering you are constantly seeing lost dog posters right next to his face (laughs) right behind him there's dead dogs in the park there's nightmares that he has about women barking at him like dogs and all these things that that become like reality that's the blew me away this time the scene in the bathroom where the women literally start barking at him it's like that's one where it's like the reality of it anyway sorry and is it literal or is it still him kind of making these women into these barking animals completely because he feels attacked by them and like that idea of like this other actual problem is happening in your neighborhood there's like a dog killer on the loose killing people's dogs but what's really capturing your attention is whatever's going on with these women that you would rather be following instead of trying to find who's killing all these dogs, which never gets resolved Mm -hmm. and which isn't really talked about once he starts going on his little adventure. So I don't know. You've convinced me. Can we also (laughs) just talk about how the homeless King is basically just a rip from John wick too. Well, I think, yeah, actually that is, yeah. Yeah. I think, one of my favorite line deliveries in the entire movie is when the homeless king shows up and Andrew Garfield's like, who are you? 
And he's like, I'm the homeless king. Like, as if that... Yeah. Like, like obviously, that's who I am. And obviously, like, you, sh- you should know who I am. It's like, that what? actor, <laughs> I don't have his name off the top of my head, but he is so good in this. Uh, uh, David Yao plays homeless king. Um, and, like, even at the end where it's like, so you're not, you're not, you're not going to kill me? I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, uh, I have like a number of things that I can just like kind of shoot off as things that yeah. I liked or things of note. The mom, mom calling very relatable to me yeah. of yeah. a mom being like this one particular actress I always loved. And you should watch this movie for my mom, Natalie Wood. For this mm. mom, I can't remember that silent film. Is it yeah. Janet, Star. Janet Gainer? Gainer. Janet Gainer. Gainer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was very funny. Um, shout out to Last Bookstore. Hell downtown yeah. LA Bookstore. That, uh, Tierney I and I... I thought that was that. Yeah, I was like, it looks that's a it. lot cleaner in this than... <laughs> in, in, in Less people, life. for sure. I, yeah, again, you also, like... LA. It, it almost, because this is such an East Side movie, you could almost get the sense in the film that... Although, I mean, it's... <laughs> Sort of, Silver Lake is closish to downtown, closer than we are in West Hollywood anyway, but it's like you you would get the idea in the movie that that's a neighborhood bookstore where it's like, nope, he definitely would have had to go out of his way to, to get so, there. So, quick sidebar, uh, as apparently, maybe this should just be a new category, uh, I'm going to read out a bit of Demi Adejuive's letterboxed review. <laughs> The biggest mystery in this movie is why a broke man who lives in Silver Lake supposedly is going to the last bookstore, which is downtown, quote, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a perfectly good bookstore in Silver Lake, too. I don't understand LA geography at all, but, like, just reading that little sentence from his review actually made me laugh out loud last night. Well, and I was also paying attention to geography of like when he's following the girls on the little boats, like the paddle boats, when they hand off the dolls to the guy, uh, then they end up in the tunnel outside of Griffith park. And then they end up in downtown LA. And I'm like, bitch, why did you drive all the way up to the mountains (laughs) to drive all the way back downtown? You were closer the other way, but you know, that's, it's aesthetics it's vibes which also it's i will like say it's like when batman as we're just talk- circled uh millennium park to go home he just did a loop right. <laughs> just did a loop when you know the city's uh spatial impossibilities become a real kink in the thing uh other thing i noted is that the skunk is there's always an element in noir where like the the main protagonist gets injured and yeah. then that injury remains with them for the rest of the movie so like chinatown knife to the nose uh the nice guys with ryan gosling he like breaks his hand uh in la confidential like several people get injured and like carries on in this one he gets sprayed by a he skunk and everyone's like, god it smells yeah. like shit he smells before and, and that Bice, to, <laughs> isn't in, oh yeah they say there's something in the yeah um isn't it a hair and vice doesn't he look progressively worse like he gets beat up a lot throughout the movie right yeah i'm trying to remember yeah, if there's any specific thing Right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, but like, that he... element I thought was, like, a fun... Yeah. yeah. Agreed, yeah. Uh, the uh, masturbation if... is a recurring theme throughout the movie. Several times. And I don't think, 
as a joke. I think it is about how this entire story is <laughs> masturbation. Oh, yeah. He's doing it for himself. I was going to make that joke earlier. And then I was like, yeah. don't be rude, Tyranny. You know, this script, literally, I will tell you, I, had, I, as someone, I, I looked at the script for this movie. It literally has that playboy on the, <laughs> like, oh, wow. he was so confident and this is the movie I want to make. It's like, here you go. <laughs> Wow. But, like, them both talking about their first times masturbating, other characters talking about masturbating, but that masturbatory... Like, even he's masturbating when he discovers a clue. That's a great point. This very, like, overt, all of it is just selfish nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's shooting your wad for nothing. Uh, But that I noticed this time around. Uh, There's also so many good hints at the answer to the mystery. Literally... How to Marry a Millionaire is a poster that's in in Riley Keough's apartment as they're watching the movie How to Marry a Millionaire with the dolls next to it. But, like, mm. that's what she's doing. That's literally, yeah. mm-hmm. that's the answer. She's just living out that title. Um, and the fireworks being something that she, like, seems taken by for nothing else, I think, besides the fact that she will not see the sky again. The next day, mm. she's going underground, no more fireworks. So, like, to him, he's like, oh, that's weird that it's late in summer. But to her, it's like, oh, God, do I want to do this? No more fireworks. Um, We also get a Spider-Man reference when he has gum on his hand and it gets stuck Mm. to a Spider-Man comic. (laughs) Uh, So I don't know what it's saying about him, but it's certainly on purpose. Uh, And uh, also the fact that, like, he writes uh, the symbol or he writes notes on the back of a parking ticket and we can tell that by the little blurb at the top being like you must pay this before this due date or like and he's just not at all caring about the parking ticket he's just using it as a notepad for his little clues for his journey just like he fucking spends seven months watching wheel of fortune to (laughs) try to figure out why vanna white does this head tilt which is i think again speaking to like what a waste of his time he's just wasting time his whole life is just like nothing. The um, the parking or the parking ticket is fun, but I also like that uh, he cracks the code of the song with just an entire pizza box. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a whole pizza like box just a that he yeah. still has around and a sharpie. He's just like, all right, let's go, baby. Every yeah. time I watch it, I'm like, motherfucker, get a notebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, anything. Um, um, Matt, Matt also, did... the handicap placard is another. Fun oh yeah, thing. yeah. He just parks I... in a handicap spot and then hooks a, par- a handicap placard that you're like, clearly, you do not need. this I remember the first time, like when I saw this in theaters, that was one of the the things that I remember laughing at because. I, you like very clearly watch him pull into a handicapped spot, and I f- was thinking like, "What the fuck?" And mm-hmm. then watching him be like, oh, "That's fine." <laughs> like, I, like mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. "God, what a piece Character of shit." <laughs> Matt, did Jefferson Severance give you Rick Caruso vibes at all this time around? I just oh, now that now that Caruso wow. lost 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 Mayor, I'm like, I don't know, he might be dead in a couple months and actually be in a bunker <laughs> or something. Yeah, go <laughs> live in a tomb somewhere. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also funny, the things that they list off is, like, uh, yeah, he's involved in everything. Yeah. He's just, like, a rich person donating and, you know, mm-hmm. producing, and uh, that's interesting that it would be Rick Russo. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, also, Silver Sun Pickups is uh, the band that's oh, actually yeah. Jesus and the Brides of Dracula. 
interesting. And that's, I think that song might be on an album I have. Uh, but uh, I like Silver Sun pickups, and the first time I saw this movie, I was like, is that is that them? And I looked it up, and I was like, oh shit, that's fun. That it's just them in, the, in this movie. The song slaps, too. I made the decision this time around. The song does, in fact, slap. It's, you know, yeah. the songwriter did it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, true. I can get on board with that take. <laughs> There's actually a, a music producer who's produced, uh, I know for sure, the Backstreet Boys they reference. He's produced, like, pretty much every hit uh, mm. from the last 20 years. He's produced probably 10% of them, maybe even 15. I forget his name. But there's, maybe, like, a uh, whole playlist on Spotify, and it's, like, like it, Britney Spears, Max Martin. I'm pretty sure, Toxic. Huh? Max Martin? Yep. He's Swedish. English mm. isn't even his first yeah. language. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's who I kept thinking um, of during that song. I've ever seen. It's probably appropriate. He does literally play Backstreet Boys. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. What are the other things I'm going to go through quickly? Um... I just love the line, working, because that also is a noir thing of, like, if two detectives are in the same place, or two private eyes, they always greet each other with, like, you working? And the other one's like, yeah, I'm working. And so for this to just be, like, maybe writing, maybe acting, you don't really get a clear yeah. sense of what Jimmy Editing? Simpson does. Yeah, yeah. he's just like, ah, you know, thinking, thinking about way, the way things work. Uh, so funny. So uh, L.A., too, that, that whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, you hear working at a party. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, what was it? Oh, repossessed car, smells like skunk, all these things that are just, like, compiled crap in his life, uh, I thought was funny. Uh, voyeurism in old Hollywood, like I mentioned, mm. Hitchcock's whole, yeah, you know, aesthetic, and how that's influenced the way he lives his life, which I think also... I spoke to this already, but, like, the idea that, like, oh, it's not me actively doing these things. I'm just influenced by other forces, and so that's where the responsibility lies. Mm. Instead of accepting, like, you know, this is your choice to treat a woman like this or to hover a drone outside of a woman's window. And if I think if she did actually get naked in that scene, it would have been a very different point. But I think the fact that it's just her crying is a statement of like what is this all f- like what are mm-hmm. you doing this for you're just like invading this poor does it matter privacy. if she didn't get naked in that scene when he said that she's been naked before oh no but i think for us as the viewer to see that like we don't even get this like titillation that suggested the entire scene of like yeah you're gonna see a naked woman you're gonna see a naked woman and in the end it's just her sad <laughs> like crying. and this these guys objectifying a sad yeah. woman who's just in her home who's not doing anything and there's like okay well i guess i'll just go home then like it's mm-hmm. very much again all like showing us almost like oh you thought you were going to get more nudity no you're not <laughs> you don't get anything here mm-hmm. uh the okay what else do i have uh the chicago t-shirt that he wears i noticed that this time yeah i want that chicago shirt yeah and i also it looked want like a, was it a shirt. chicago marathon like an old school chicago old marathon school. Oh, I thought I saw old style on it or something, but... 
I mean, I noticed it from the skyline. Like, that's how I clocked right, it. Same. Like, you could see the Sears Tower and uh, the Hancock Building, like, very Water noticeably. Yeah, so yeah. I, I I couldn't read what the actual shirt said, but you definitely can see that it is Chicago. It's a skyline. Yeah, uh, I love that shirt, and I want it. And I also want the yellow shirt that he wears when he goes to the songwriter's house. I thought that shirt is awesome. It's just, like, vaguely a mummy-ish poster i can't even oh tell exactly yeah it yeah the old, it's it is like an old school mm. movie poster kind of right yeah yeah um it's it's a cool one uh but uh i think the last thing that i'll actually say that i do want to talk about is the owl's kiss which is a wild swing in this movie <sighs> yeah of making something that seems totally unrealistic very much physically present or not if he is imagining all this. But, like, on the videotape she shows up, she shows up at his apartment and then just runs away. But, like, what are people's takes on the owl's kiss? I know we're also going long, so... Uh, sorry to introduce something so potentially big right at the end. Other is it that, potentially big, though? I had no <laughs> thoughts. I was just like, I don't know what's happening? Well, that's, I don't it really is another care. one of those elements where it's like, I think you can kind of... It might mean everything, like the owls. Kid, this like it might be this organization like going after him, or it might be nothing again. Like right. that's you know, it's like I was. Th- we haven't talked about the coyote yet either, you know, which is another right. good lesson from this movie. Always follow coyote. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an interesting element, which I remember. It was like when I first watched the movie, I'm like, oh, we're taking like kind of a hard right turn into horror here. Um, I mean, yeah. I do think this is a like noir mixed with like some 70s conspiracy thriller vibes dark comedy but it's another reason why it's so hard to talk about what is this movie (laughs) like um yeah because then you get this like yeah this kind of hard stab at almost horror because i do find that whole thing pretty disturbing i don't know yeah that was i you know i I said at the top that like there's some some things that work really well for me and I think that's just a carryover from how much I like It Follows, because I think a lot of the the stuff where mm-hmm. it leans really into horror is stuff that, like, really works for me. Like, I think when he's walking through the park that one night and there's just, like, the shadow behind him, and then he just, like, you know, like, that sequence I really like. Um, when he goes to the guy's house um, and, like, starts looking at the videotape, like, that was very reminiscent of, like... Um, the signs like the iconic signs like birthday Uh video where you're just like watching a video like you're watching somebody watch a video and it just like is really really creepy and then when he's like in his apartment and it cuts to like the counter like that just like has a trap door in it apparently (laughs) just like somebody comes out of it like that i was like oh yeah this fucking rules and then nothing <laughs> like, <"God damn> it. <laughs> like i'm so ready to be in on this and then david robert yeah. mitchell's like nah we're not nope. gonna bother <laughs> yeah um yeah that's all i just thought that was a really wild element uh, in this movie that yeah. is also you know again it's objectifying a woman's body which is very mm-hmm. uh normal for this movie yeah but as a character design amazing very cool oh yeah that just owl head she's like a batman villain just yeah yes scary tall owl villain uh yeah i thought it was cool um i think those are all my little moments that i wanted to bullet point so 
Um, I did. I I know we are going long, so I'm I'm not going to do a lot of these. But the, I wrote down some quotes that made me laugh, and most of them were related to making fun of LA. So, all right. <laughs> um, when the woman gives him a cookie as an admission ticket to a secret show, and she says, "If it's missing anything, even a crumb, they won't let you in." <laughs> I just I had a I quoted that, and then I as an aside to myself, "Fuck LA hipster bullshit." <laughs> <laughs> this is a very the fact that this movie is I mean that's as Silver Lake as it is it is uh it is sort of the ultimate ultimate dark hipster portrait yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then when he's at the party where I think it's the party where he ends up meeting his ex and her new fiance mm-hmm. and like there's just as he's walking around there's a voiceover and a guy is talking about how this woman is the youngest person to ever write direct <laughs> produce and sound design sound, her own networks <laughs> her own network sitcom she's 12 but she's clearly an old soul she really captures the zeitgeist i don't think there's any adult that could ever express the kind of deep understanding that she has over her material yeah. and that was just like a conversation that happens in a party in la and i was like and then you see her she's at the party and there's this little girl like who's being cake. guarded by like yeah, she's just yeah. eating cake and i was like god damn it i like this Amazing. is my least favorite part of la it's just like that kind of shit um and then i also liked um at some point when i can't remember it's towards the end of the movie but um somebody that he has not yet interacted with um is interacting with him and is just like, is that patchouli? <laughs> it's oh, it's like a woman. It's bird woman. Topless bird woman. It's a topless bird woman. But it's just like, no, it's just skunk. It's not. It's not. It's not patchouli. It's just skunk. <laughs> um, I thought that was very funny. And then the last thing, we don't have to talk about it because there's not really anything to talk about. But uh, Sydney Sweeney is in this movie. Sydney Sweeney, so, which I didn't know until Freddie said it before we watched it today, and I was like, she is. Yeah, she's she one of the shooting stars. I mean, the power of, I feel like it, it follows, people must have either responded to the script for some reason or just wanted to work with the guy that made it follows, because the cast, I mean, it's good, like, I found yeah. out before Riley Keough was in it, it was going to be Dakota Johnson, but even, you know, besides mm. her and oh. Andrew Garfield, you got Topher Grace, uh, Ricky Lindholm, Kat, like, Callie Hernandez, uh, Sydney Sweeney, you know jimmy simpson like you know it's it's a I, 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 again watching it again today i said i wasn't going to just run down everybody but it really is like a strong ensemble i think yeah I, I thought it was fun um i am not the world's most foremost uh mulholland drive guy but patrick fishler is in this movie um, yes and, yes yeah and he's also uh in famously in mulholland drive um, yeah, I saw a great review on IMDb today for this movie that was like, if Mulholland Drive was written by a fourth grader, which I was like, well. <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah, no, there's, I wow. mean, that, that's a whole other door to open is the like, how this movie fits in with something like Lynch, maybe, who's a very LA filmmaker. And I did not think about him the first time I watched this, but for sure, the Mulholland Drive comparison is there as just, you know, the canon of uh, LA movies. Um, yeah. Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Movies named after shit in L.A. even. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah, so we are running long, so let's breeze through the categories quickly. Um, what uh, tattoo ideas? Honestly, oh. I, do, I don't want a tattoo from anything in this movie, but... <laughs> Crazy. Uh, Matt, I would bra- get so brainstorm, many tattoos. Brainstorm some tattoo ideas for yourself. <laughs> Silver Lake Sign. Silver Lake the... Sign was the first thing I thought of as well. Yeah. yeah. The Owl's Kiss. 
Oh yeah. Uh, any of the hobo code symbols. The yeah. Uh, drawings. The I mean like, the woman with balloons all over her would be. There's a fun kind tattoo. of a lot like when you yeah, actually yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Because it's all about symbols. The whole yeah. movie is about symbols. Like you could literally do the map from Nintendo Power One, and that would be a tattoo. Like, yeah. there's so much. Literally, like, even the songwriter behind the piano, just, like, in yeah. shadows, that would be a tattoo. There's, like, a million things to take from this movie that are, like, visually very specific to this particular movie. Um, but I think I would still go with just the T-shirt. I want that T-shirt. <laughs> yellow T-shirt, that's what I want. No tattoo needed. Yeah, um, those are my ideas. What would you guys watch this movie on an airplane? I would not. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Can you imagine watching? This I also probably would. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I watched. Yeah, I watched about half of all that jazz on an airplane, and and about you know, about the six breast into that, it was like ah, I should probably turn this off. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, you got dead dogs in this movie. You've yeah, got nudity. You've got murders. <laughs> and it's like yeah. it's one thing if it's like an iconic movie that you know, like whatever. But I think if people like nobody saw this movie, so like if anybody were to see that, they'd just be like, "Are you just actually watching porn right now? Like, what the fuck are you doing?" It's yeah. not that much. I know, but I mean, but, like, yeah. there's just a lot of like topless women just wandering around doing shit. So I, right. I don't know. It's just like. Also, we've talked about movie length being a crucial part of an airplane movie, and this is, for what you said about 90 minutes or three and a half hours, this movie falls right in the middle of, like, <laughs> too long for a short flight, too short for a yeah, long yeah. flight, pick something else. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, would you spend time on this film set? I mean... No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. I, I just said yeah. today... I want to go to that cave club. I was oh, like, man. I wish so this place cool. was real. Yeah. As ridiculous as I think some of the apartment... I think it's actually a pretty good L.A. apartment. It's just probably nicer than what this guy would afford. Although, I don't know. Sometimes I go to someone's apartment in L.A. and I'm like, how do you afford this shit? Um, it's too well like, decorated. He has too many things. He does have a lot of shit. I think... Yeah. Uh, but it's, like, nice shit. He has, like, a nice kitchen. And it's, like, there's no way that has man has more than two spoons and a plate. <laughs> but Unless they always his have, mom, like, beer cans and, like, old pizza and shit lying out. Like, so I, yeah. he, he gave off, like, uh, his parents were footing the bill for a long time in his life. And at some point, very so. recently, that is no longer the case. And, it's like, his mom will still call him and just, like, shoot the shit with him but I don't think his mom is, like, paying the bills anymore. Yeah. Like, that's the that's the vibe I got from him. So, like, in if, if that's an accurate read on who he is, it's not that surprising that... Like, clearly he's at the end of his lease because he's about to get evicted because his, like, rent is super, super, super late. So, like, you know, it's it to me it was not that surprising that he had that nice of an apartment. Because I think, like, to Chris, what you were saying, like, it's kind of, like, it's... Like, he's just got shit everywhere. Like, it's a dirty apartment. Like, the, the apartment is, like, a nice, in theory, but, it like, it, it I wouldn't want to live there. Like, in that specific, like, the way he's he's living there. Yeah. I just a want Playboy that. magazine on his nightstand. Yeah. Just, like... Kurt Cobain poster. Yeah, but you guys are ridiculous. looking at, like, his crap. I'm talking about, like, the way it's designed. That stand his TV is on, there's no way that costs less than $500. 
And if his parents were paying for it when he moved in, like, none of that's surprising to me. Aesthetically, though, it's too well decorated. Like, I feel like he would have a Nirvana poster that's thumbtacked to the wall, not even in a frame. So even if his parents were buying the furniture, I don't think he would decorate it that way. I also wonder, though, if Sam is someone who kind of had his shit together for a while and then went Mm. through this horrible breakup and then everything just kind of, like, went downhill from there. But I also, I think, Tierney, you, you make a good point about, like, yeah, there's, like, I think it's hard to do a... It's, it's, I think it's hard to do a crappy L.A. apartment justice. Any crappy apartment. Like, I'm trying to think... The first movie that comes to mind is something like Swingers. Like, that's a movie where, like, John Favreau plays kind of a shithead down-on-his-luck guy, and he lives in a real shitty apartment that I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been to that shitty apartment before <laughs> in L.A. Um, I, but, yeah, but I'd I'd love to, to be on the set. I'd love, I haven't heard anything bad about David Robert Mitchell, so that's, for me, always the criteria, as long as it's, it sounds... I assume it was a good set to work on. So yeah, and I, what a cast to be. I was gonna say, I think yeah. as much as the movie mostly doesn't hold together for me, I do think like you know it's fun to just like aimlessly wander around LA, and yeah, yeah. the cast is dope. So I I would probably be a soft yes on that one. Um, what character would you guys want to play? Ooh, Tierney, you go first. Probably <laughs> <laughs> the bird lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good she's not that's even a good a part one. of the story at all <laughs> she's also maybe the only redeemable character in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. oh wait no but she sleeps with him at the end um yeah probably the woman yeah, but cleaning, you get to sleep with cleaning Andrew the glass outside the shop in the very beginning it's <laughs> oh the worst like it's just rubbing the exact same spot and nothing is coming off it's like okay yeah Clearly, you got to get a different cleaner girl. Like, <laughs> um, I think it would be fun to play uh, the Patrick Fischler character, like the the author of the zine. Yeah, like mm-hmm. conspiracy theorist. Like he's got a really fun energy, and it's just so goofy. Um, when he's talking about all the faces and how he needs to find a family so he can. Get- <laughs> Yeah, you so should probably get a family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to give this away to so him, like, nope. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not <laughs> missed the point. So, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> uh, I think I'd be the songwriter. I think that's such a meaty thing to get yeah. to play. Great. Yeah. I don't know how to play shit. I can't play any piano. But you can edit, you can edit around that. That's exactly. Fine. Just cut to my hands and it's an actual piano player. But I would love to play that insane yeah. part. Yeah. I also, I resisted for a long time looking up who plays that. Because it's clearly, it's another thing where it's like, I, clearly it's a dude in makeup. But um, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Bob, who's a very good actor, Russian Doll, Outsider, Nick, um, been in oh. some really good stuff. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's a great choice, Matt. I mean, I, I don't need to play the uh, Andrew Garfield character because I live that existence. So um, maybe, if not the songwriter, maybe the Jimmy Simpson character. It seems like that would be. I was gonna say, I think Jimmy Simpson also has like a really fun vibe anytime he pops up, wearing women's (laughs) a woman's top. Yeah, Yeah. so crazy. (laughs) Um, I think. Oh, the uh, the Zoom link that I sent out to you guys. um, This was mostly not agree. Mostly just to piss Tierney off. Uh, two inherent, two vice, and or inherent vice, or inherent vice to inherent vicer. 
So that was <laughs> again, yeah. not that I necessarily think that this movie is as good as Inherent Vice, but I do. I just thought it was funny and would make Tyranny mad. And I, I think had tried success. to guess. <laughs> I had tried to guess what it was going to be, and I thought over the Golden Pond uh, might. Have oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then this movie was not nominated for Oscars, which. <gasps> Not surprising, especially yeah. considering A24 just, like, totally buried it. <laughs> yeah. Buried it deep. I don't Guy think he, the treasure planet I don't think he ever would have been nominated, but I do think it would have been fun if Andrew Garfield would have gotten some sort of recognition for this role. Yeah. Andy Spirit or something. Yeah. But yeah, this movie basically was DOA, so. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Under the Silver Lake, or, you know, over the Golden Pond, if... Yeah. If you will. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what have you guys been up to lately? Seen seen or, or watched or read anything you want to talk about? Anybody want to start? I'll start. I'll be quick. Uh, I saw Babylon. I feel like there'll be a conversation. Oh. Very... We well, can't do a whole we conversation. Can't, we can't. No, let's do it right now. <laughs> let's do it right now, baby. <laughs> that was the perfect did. time we talked about. to get into Babylon. Man, I think you mentioned Babylon I, I think... last week. Maybe we did, but Chris also loves Babylon, so... Love Babylon. Maybe I just like movies about Hollywood. I don't know. Maybe that's the only real pattern here. Here's but. here's the thing. I love Babylon. Babylon's over three hours long, so David Robert Mitchell. Yeah. Give me Take give notes. me more weird Hollywood shit. Yeah, uh, but I'm on the same then, page as you, Colin. And then uh, uh, most of us watched The Last of Us, but uh, I'll mention that The Last of Us premiered last night uh from when we're recording this and i'm in i'm very excited for more very uh thrilled to be on that ride i think that's basically it i have not done that much since last week yeah uh fell asleep for five minutes but agreed overall last of us despite that (laughs) really great and then just been watching paul t goldman which uh we we also don't have time to talk about because what a what a can of worms that is to open. Um, just I want to say, if you want to watch a compelling show about a ridiculously unlikable man, we've spent time talking about unlikable characters a lot already on this episode. Uh-huh. But just gonna throw Paul T. Goldman out there. I hate him. It's, it's, it's on my list. Uh, I do not like him. But yes, watch the show. Um, I saw Megan, which bless fucking rules yeah. it's so, She's so mother <laughs> she's the moment uh my one complaint about megan is that i i wish it was more of a horror movie like mm. um yeah like, it, it's that. very very fun for what it is and i enjoy it for what it is but just I, you wait for mithrigan too mithrigan or mithrigan <laughs> mithrigan mithrigan yeah <laughs> Um, I just, like, I, Malignant didn't totally work for me, but, um, the woman who wrote Megan also wrote Malignant, and I, like, I liked how bonkers horror Malignant was, and I felt like this movie was just, like, bonkers bonkers, um, so I do wish that it was a little bit more in the bonkers horror vein, but having said that, it still kicks ass, uh, so yeah, I'm, it's always fun when there's, like, an actually good movie that gets released in January, so, um bless us all for that totally um i finally talked myself into watching elvis uh and i mostly did not like that movie so uh Um. would it have helped if it was a full three hours because it's close god it's (laughs) more 
More, more, oh, more. I'll say it didn't make my top 10, but that was another one that was up there for me. <laughs> top 20 for sure. Big fan. I just... No. It wouldn't have helped. <laughs> <laughs> it really wouldn't have helped. It doesn't pass uh, the test. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always the, the exception snowman. that proves the rule. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I could not... No, I we were not going to get into it, but I was just like, why? Why does everybody love this movie so much? I wish that I liked it, but also, I feel like I I don't know if I've said this on recording or not, but uh, very out on the whole Baz Luhrmann experience post uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, that's fair. <laughs> fair. Right. Um, yeah, and then Last of Us is dope. I am very excited. Uh, I watched it last night with one other person who had played the game and one person who hadn't, and I was very curious to see how he would react to it and he really liked it as well so we're doing it we've got we can make video game adaptations now y'all yeah and this is a pretty faithful adaptation so far like literally beat for beat a pretty pretty reliable uh adaptation so yeah tierney um i finished piggy blinders um pesky blinders yeah, I finished uh, Underground Railroad, the book by, I think it's Colson Whitehead. Um, yep. I fit, and then I watched John Wick 2 and 3. Um, and oh, I started the latest season of All Creatures Great and Small, but I haven't finished it yet. Um, but I think that was all I've been up to. The only thing I'll say is that uh, you guys are severely underrating Halle Berry's murder dogs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's the oh, best sequence when you're, when you're, when you're considering the rankings of, mm. of the John Wick movies. Only one movie has Halle Berry's murder dogs. Yeah. So if it was no, called John Wick, three, ha- John Wick 3, John Wick 3 colon Halle Berry's murder dogs, <laughs> that would have, I think I would have liked it more. Mm. But that, is, that scene is great. Uh but a lot of the rules get really muddy in that one, where I'm like, how does this assassin world work? How does any of this work? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I, like when John Wick isn't running from stuff. I like when he's the one <laughs> attacking. It's a yeah, lot more interesting. Pursuing. Mm. Yeah, because then he, I, I you see like, a, his <clears throat> actual skill and tactic as opposed to just like endless fight scenes. Mm. Yeah, see, I, I think that that's a totally fair like take on the John Wick franchise, but like... I personally don't give a shit about the mythology of the John Wick franchise. All I want is to see dope kills. <laughs> mm. And so I feel like the third one is really, really speaking to me personally. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely think like <clears throat> there's something exciting about uh, seeing like a great kill or whatever. I just think it's more fun to see John get himself where he needs to be and then kill the one person or try to kill the one person have everybody else come running at him as opposed to like him literally just like trying to like take a breath and then people just keep chasing him it's a lot less fun mm-hmm. but the like i said it, the, there was some good ones there was a pencil there was a book um the book was so good yeah <laughs> was that the one that the had like 900 knives yeah. or was that the second one yeah i think i think the knives are in the third one if i remember correctly yeah. Oh yeah, there's a whole knife fight. Yeah, in it. yeah, yeah in like the of hall knives. of knives. I remember. Yeah, my my friends and I were just hooting and hollering when the book came out. We were like, 
Yeah, hell yeah, this is cinema. This is it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I Books just love kill. Keanu Reeves. <laughs> also fair. Who doesn't? Yeah. He's just so yeah, good. Is... And the fact that his fight scenes don't look like like where it's like like uh, Avengers has a lot of like this I'm basically going to this place where our arms will meet and I'm just like gonna accelerate the film mm-hmm. speed to make it look mm-hmm. like we're really mm-hmm. doing shit fast where he just looks like a person actually like he's a little bit it looks a little bit sloppier but it's more realistic I feel like mm-hmm. yeah. that like when he punches someone his leg is gonna like lift a little bit instead of just mm-hmm. being like firmly planted like ho 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 <laughs> the benefits of getting directed by a fight choreographer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I feel like Keanu tends to have like a little bit more of like a disheveled. Yeah. Fight yeah. style, which I like. Certainly. Um. I oh let me I really want to really quick because I know you know um I know we gotta get out of here but uh, this episode will spike for viewership again so. Um, <laughs> I just want to make it sure to. Will. I did want to. I did see a smaller movie the other day called Saint Omer. I want to shout that out really quick because I oh, thought it yeah. was very, very good, and made some top ten lists. But it's not Ooh. super widely available. But just um, good film. If people get a chance to check it out, it's an intense watch. But I think it's worth worth. Looking. I saw you log that, and I was gonna ask you about it. Um, yeah, it's not it's not playing in Denver yet, but I do have plans to see it whenever it does yeah. pop up. So. Worth checking out for sure. <clears throat> Thank you, Chris, and thank you yeah. uh, for being a guest again on, on this very special episode. Thank you for having me. I've like been dying to talk about this movie, and I feel like in some ways this is a conversation Matt and I probably could have just had. <laughs> 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 like, let's talk about. But what about this amazing thing that the movie does? But you know, I watched. I'd watched like a YouTube video a couple months back, and I rarely watch these film essays. But some dude did this thing. It was like. The movie A twenty four doesn't want you to see, and of course, it's he's talking about <laughs> under the Silver Lake, and I was like, that's a little extreme, but it, it is it is a weirdly buried title for them, and I just like I've been thinking about it again, rewatching in the last couple months, and how much I like it. So yeah, anyway, thank you for having me. Uh, love this movie. It was a so. pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Um, much and uh, we'll be back. We'll be back with a new with Colin's pick next week. Uh, so listener, come stay tuned. But uh, you know. For this episode, I would say that I'm finished!